0: We're getting back into a, this, our study on Colossians. I appreciate John stepping in and, and sharing a word last week, and I, I, I reflected on it and meditated on it all week long. It was rich, and I, I really appreciate John sharing what he did last week. And it went right in line, I think, with a lot of what we've already been talking about as we've looked into the book of Colossians. Today we're going to be looking at Colossians 1, verses 3 through 5. and We're going to be talking about genuine Christianity. You may or may not know this, I assume that most of you do, that Christianity is the largest religion in the world. There are over 2 billion professing Christians around the world. Do you know that, this is just an aside, not part of my notes, but as Christianity begins to wane in Europe and North America, it is exploding south of the equator. South America right now is in full-fledged revival. They say nearly 50% of the Brazilian people, that's where the Olympics are taking place, 50% of the Brazilian people right now are born-again Christians. They're not just professing Christians, they're born-again Christians. Uh, Nigeria is actually right now sending missionaries to America, to the inner cities of America. The large, one of the largest churches in Atlanta was planted by a Nigerian pastor just a few years ago, believe it or not. Uh, Nigeria is exploding. The largest church on the planet when it comes together is in Nigeria. It's so large, they say, that you can see it from the space station. It's so large that when they give an altar call, they have vehicles in the back. They don't meet under a roof, I don't think. They meet in the open doors. Uh, Yeah, and when an altar call is given, they have little buses and vans and transit vehicles that will take them from the back of the gathering place to the altar where where they gather to pray. That's how big it is. God's doing some incredible stuff. All that being said, if you asked most most of the Christians I know, anyway, if you were to ask them what it takes to be a Christian, they'd probably struggle to answer that question. Uh, Is a Christian simply someone who believes in Jesus Christ? Is a Christian someone who had an emotional religious experience, came to an altar and cried, or is it is a Christian someone who has said a sinner's prayer in the past or is, it, is a Christian someone who holds a certain theological position or someone who's been baptized in water? Is a Christian someone who belongs to a church or someone who simply grew up in a Christian family? What's a Christian? What is a genuine Christian? Many professing Christians, at least the ones that I know, claim that they've had a religious experience in their past and that they have accepted Jesus, maybe by saying a sinner's prayer, but let's be honest. Most of those people, those same people, uh, live no differently after the experience than they did before the experience. Can I get an amen? Many professing Christians hold a correct theological position, they go through all the correct Religious motions, they attend church, they read their Bibles, they pray, they give offerings in the offering plate, they're baptized in the water, they will even take communion. Many of these same professing Christians will join churches like ours, but many of them, come on, let's be honest, many of them don't really live any differently than their non believing neighbor just down the street, do they? Are they really Christian? It's above my pay grade. What is genuine Christianity? I don't know about you, I want to be one. I want to be one. I don't want to be somebody who simply talks the talk. I want to walk the walk too. I want to be genuine in my faith. I want when people see me and think about me, they know that I stand for something, that I represent Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. And I hope that's the way you feel about it too. I hope that you want to know what genuine Christianity really is, what it looks like. How it ought to be lived out. What is genuine Christianity? What is it that distinguishes true believers from those who simply profess to believe in Christ? As we look at Colossians 1, 3 through 5, I think we're going to find an answer to that question. We're going to find out what it is to be a genuine Christian. What genuine Christianity looks like. Now, we know from the previous messages that I've shared with you that Paul wrote this letter we call Colossians To a group of people he had never actually met himself in person. Now Paul knew their pastor Epaphras. Epaphras had been one to the Lord through Paul's ministry and Epaphras had taken the gospel to the uh, city of Colossae. And it was Epaphras who was visiting Paul in prison that told Paul about the problems that were beginning to develop in the Colossian church. The Colossians were beginning to ask, some questions that, uh, and beginning to look for answers in all the wrong places, and there were some problems beginning to creep into the Colossian church, and as Epaphras uh, expressed his concern to Paul, uh, Paul responded by writing this little letter to to people in Colossae that he'd never met, but dearly loved. The Colossian church members were asking themselves questions like this, am I? really a Christian? Or is there something missing in my Christian experience? Am I really following Christ like I think I ought to? Or is there another experience I need to have in order to really be a Christian? Is there another bit of knowledge I need to know? Is there something else I need to do? Am I really a Christian? I don't know about you, but I have found myself in times past asking myself, those same, very same questions: Am I really who I claim to be? Especially when I found myself struggling with sin and temptation. If I am who I think I am, then why am I still struggling with this? Is there something more I need to do? Is there some is there some special way I need to pray? Is there some spiritual resource I need to tap into so that I can be who I think I am? Anybody else been there? Is it just me? This message is for you. If you ever find yourself asking that question, am I really a Christian, these, two, these three verses are going to give us an answer to that. And I, so, so I want you to listen to this within the context of your own life. At those times when you're asking yourself those kinds of questions, I want you to think about your own life as we talk about genuine Christianity today. Let's read these uh, few verses. And we'll get right into it. Colossians one three through five says, "We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you." I got to stop right here. I got to stop and say this about about Paul. Paul could have begun his letter without any expression of thanksgiving at all. He could have started his letter by saying, "You bunch of idiots! Don't you get it?" Come on, you ignorant fools. Don't you understand yet what it means to be a Christian? Who Christ really... Don't you get it? Listen, all of us who have walked with the Lord for a while, we got to remember now, everybody is in process. All right? We have a tendency sometimes as older, more mature Christians to become impatient with those who are younger and less mature than we... Come on. And so we find ourselves snapping at them and impatiently trying to cram knowledge down their throat hoping they're gonna get it and if they don't what do we often do I'm done Paul says oh no 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 no. I thank God when I think about you I thank God I'm glad you're asking those questions come on that's the proper response is it not I want to ask you something are you thankful For everyone in this room right now, or are you wishing they'd go away and never talk to you again? Because every time they come, oh my goodness, here they come again. No, 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 no. Be thankful, man. Be thankful for one another. I've said this before and we'll say it again. I hope, this is the way I see you. You are God's gift to me. And I hope that you see me the same way. I am God's gift to you. And I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for the the questions that you bring to me, and I'm thankful for the struggles that you're willing to share with me, in the same way I hope that I can come to you with, those, with some struggles and some questions myself, because together we're going to get through this, together we're on a journey home, together, man, we're going to make it, we need to stay thankful for each other, it'll change the way we see each other and our perspective, anyway, let, let me move on, let's, let's get to the heart of the message today. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much and I thank you for this group of people and I pray today you would help us to get our listening ears on. We would open up our hearts, our minds our spirits to you today so that you can do a profound work in us, God. Help us to see what genuine Christianity really is and how it ought to be lived out in the everyday circumstances of our life. I pray, Father, that today those who are struggling to see themselves as believers would walk out of this room more uh, affirmed than ever uh, that they are truly in Christ. I pray those of us who need to make some decisions to deepen that commitment, God, would make those decisions. I just pray, God, you teach us what we need to be taught today within the context of our own lives by this word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we give you glory. We give you glory and we thank you now for all that you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. From this passage, and I want you to write this down, if if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, from this passage, we could define genuine Christianity this way. A genuine Christian is characterized by a faith in Jesus Christ and a love for others that is anchored in the hope of eternal life. Write that down if you will. I want you to meditate on that statement this afternoon. A genuine Christian is characterized by a faith in Christ and a love for others that is anchored in the hope of eternal life. We're going to break that down a little bit today and hopefully describe it for you so that you can understand how it applies to your life. This is our working definition today, and I want us to take just a little bit deeper look at what it is to be a genuine Christian. First of all, it takes a faith in Christ Jesus. It takes a faith in Christ Jesus. Verses 3 through 4 say, we always thank God The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. A lot of people claim to have faith. Nearly everybody I know claims to have faith. Many of them say that faith is very important to them. A uh, research study came out just uh, earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken, that says 88% of Americans say they believe in God. About 60% of those say they're absolutely certain that there's a God. So nearly everyone that you and I meet on a daily basis claims to be a person of faith. Nearly everyone we meet claims to be a person of faith who believes in God. But we, this, is, this is where we're at in, in our culture today. We can't assume that they think of faith in the same way that the Bible describes faith. Okay, So we need to ask a couple of questions to follow up. And these are questions I want you to ask yourself. We've got to ask the question, what is the object of your faith? What is the object of your faith? We've got to understand something, that faith in and of itself has no power. There is no intrinsic value in faith itself. Faith doesn't have any power. It's the object of a person's faith. It's the object of a person's faith that's important. Did you see the guy that jumped out of the airplane 25,000 feet without a parachute this week? Intuinette. Did you see that? That dude had some faith. He had some faith, not in his ability to you know, duck and roll when he hit the ground, he had faith that that net would catch him and stop him from hitting the ground. He didn't have faith in the jump, he had faith in the net. You know, It's the object of your faith that matters, not having faith itself, right? Okay, so we've got to ask ourselves that question, what is the object of your faith? And people put their spiritual faith, their faith in all kinds of things, they put their faith in uh, spiritual experiences, They put their faith in in doctrinal systems. They put their faith in their own good works, their own good deeds. They put their faith in their family backgrounds. They put their faith in the opinions of other people. They put their faith in the church they belong to or the program that they're part of. But a genuine Christian, a genuine Christian won't put their faith in any of those things. A genuine Christian puts their faith in one place and one place alone, one person and one person alone, Jesus Christ. 12 steps will not save you. They'll point you to Jesus where your salvation is found, but 12 steps ain't, hadn't ever saved anybody. Okay? Having correct thinking, doctrinal systems in place won't save you. I think the devil knows who's God and who Jesus is, but he ain't saved, never going to be. Going to church will not save you. Giving in the offering will not save you. As someone once said, you can go and sit in a garage. It's never going to make you a car. Jesus Christ will save you. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone will save you. Just because other people look at you and say, you're a good person. You must be a Christian. doesn't make you a Christian, does it? A genuine Christian, a true believer, puts his faith in Jesus Christ alone. It was Jesus who died and paid the penalty for our sin. It was Jesus who rose again and made us right with God. It's Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. The Bible says that our confidence, our faith, should rest in Christ alone and what He's done, not in what we can do or what this world can do for us. Acts 4.12 says it this way, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So a true believer, a genuine Christian, places his faith in Christ Jesus alone. That leads us to a second question though. What does it mean to have faith? What does that mean? I've got faith in Christ. What does that mean? Some think of faith as a good feeling. It's a good, strong feeling uh, about someone or something. But the Bible says, listen to me real carefully here, y'all. The Bible says that faith isn't a feeling at all. Follow me here. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is a choice to trust. Totally trusting in Christ. Whether you feel like it or not. You choose to do it because you know that's where your salvation's found. Faith is having complete confidence in the nature and the character of God. That what He has has said is true and always will be true. That what He claims to be is true and always will be true. Faith is having complete confidence in the nature and character of God. Faith is believing that everything Christ says about Himself... And everything Christ has said about this world. And everything Christ has said about us. Everything he has said about our salvation. Everything he has said about everything is absolutely true and can be trusted. To have faith in Christ literally means to bet your whole life in him. To put it all on the line and say I belong to him. I trust him. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what that preacher says. I'm trusting Jesus. Jesus alone. Biblical faith is like this. Biblical faith is just like this. One night a house caught fire, and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof for safety. His father stood on the ground below and his father had outstretched arms, and he was calling out to his son, Jump, and I'll catch you. Jump, and I'll catch you. And he knew the boy had to jump off that roof in order to save his life. But all that boy could see standing on that rooftop was smoke and flames and darkness. And as you can imagine, that boy was terrified. The boy was terrified, and he was so, he was so scared, he didn't want to jump off that roof. But his father kept yelling, jump, and I'll catch you. Jump, son, and I'll catch you. But the, 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 the boy protested, daddy, I can't see you. I can't see you. The, the father replied, but I can see you, and that's all that matters. See, that's God. That's us and God. We're standing up here, in, or, or actually most of us are standing down there in our mess, looking up, and all we can see is darkness, man. We don't know. Can't, we're so confused. We're caught in a prison of our own making, and we don't know how to get out of this mess. And then suddenly God appears and says, look, I I used to do this illustration with uh, CR all the time. I had a rope here, and just started throwing it out, a rope, started throwing it out. Most of you would just let me pull that rope back, but there'd be one of you that'd catch on to that rope. That's what we got to (laughs) do. If we want to be saved, we've got to catch on to the rope, the rope of God's grace, the rope of God's mercy. It's his strength that will pull us to freedom. It's his wisdom that's going to pull us to, to safety. You understand what I'm saying? That's where we're at. And it, we've got to come to the place where he is the only one we trust. And if what you say to me doesn't measure up to what God says to me, then that's okay. I prefer to choose. I'll trust in God. Thanks very much. I appreciate your help, and I appreciate your offer to help, but that's all right. I need Jesus to tell me what to do. Does that make sense? He's our only means. That's what it means to have faith. It's to bet your whole life that what he says is true. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what this world may say, it's Jesus we choose to trust. I mean, we may not see him. We may not see anything very clearly. But we do believe and we do trust that he loves us, that he sees us, and he will do right by us because he's good. Biblical faith says we trust Christ in spite of the circumstances we find ourselves in. That we bet our lives on him in spite of what we may or may not understand. Faith is believing that what Christ says is true. And here's the really important part about what it means to have faith. You act on it. You act on it. Remember what James 2.17 says, "...Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead." The boy to be saved from that burning house had to jump off the roof. He can believe all he wants, his daddy will catch him, but until he jumps off the roof, he's not going to be saved. Does that make sense? We've got to take action. We've got to act on what we believe God has said to us. Where does this kind of faith come from? It's another question we need to ask. Where do you get this kind of faith to believe, to trust God like that? Well, our text today... You really Get your listening ears on, because I want you to really catch hold of this. Our text today tells us that faith and love spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Faith and love spring from the hope stored up from you in heaven. The kind of faith that we're talking about here comes from God. It comes from heaven's throne. The kind of faith we're talking about here is a fruit of salvation. Listen, faith isn't the means to salvation. Faith is the result of salvation. Faith doesn't produce hope in eternal life. Hope in eternal life produces faith. Oh Lord, I don't want to confuse anybody here because I know that that probably threw some people for a loop in this room. Because it sounds different than the way we usually portray faith and what it means. We usually make... It seems as if we need to come up with more faith on our own in order to believe God for bigger things. It means, you know, the way we talk about faith, we talk about uh, ne- needing to produce more faith on our own in order to be forgiven, in order to be uh, set free from the, our problems with sin. We, when we talk about faith, we, we tend to think about something that we gin up ourselves. We gin up more faith ourselves in order to overcome sin and be made right with God. But listen, that's a wrong way of looking at faith. Faith is evidence that we are saved. Faith is God's gift to us. (sighs) Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says it it this way. It's It's a passage of scripture we're all familiar with. For it is by grace you have been saved, Through faith, what does it say next? And this is not from yourselves. This faith is a gift from God. You don't have to gin up more faith. You don't have to produce more faith on your own. You don't have to come up with more faith to be set free, to be forgiven, to be saved. You don't have to gin that up yourself. A lot of us try really hard, don't we? That's what we've been taught. If I could just feel like I had more faith, then I would trust God more. Faith is a gift of God. It's God who produces faith in you. So here, here, let, let, Okay, so let me, let me see if I can bring this around a little bit. We don't have to work harder to produce more faith. Faith is something that God creates in us. God produces faith in us. Say that with me. God produces faith in me. Say it again. God produces faith in me. Why is understanding this so important? Because so many of us spend so much time looking inside ourselves trying to will up more faith. We are looking inside ourselves trying to experience more faith. Feel more faith, right? We're looking inside. The wrong place for you to look for more faith is inside yourself. You want to find more faith, you look to God. You look to God. You don't need to read more books about faith. You don't need to, to hear more sermons about faith. What you need to do if you want more faith is simply look at God. Let God produce what he wants to produce in your heart and in your life, and that's faith faith. As you look at God your faith is strengthened. As you look at God your faith comes alive. As you look at Christ and all that he's done, all that he's done for others, all he's done in the past for you, as you continue to look at Christ more and more faith is the result of it. Listen, spend more time looking at God and and faith will just begin to grow like a fruit in your life. Seek him through scripture and prayer and meditation. Put worship songs on and sing along. If you find yourself struggling with faith, don't start looking inside saying, what's wrong with me? I need to stir up. No, no. You take a look at Christ. God bless you. For such a little woman. (laughs) Romans 10, listen, let me just back it up with a couple of scriptures if I can, or just one scripture. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith doesn't come from trying harder. Faith doesn't come from trying to stir it up yourself. Faith doesn't come by trying to gin up some extra special measure, some extra extra special feeling. Faith comes from hearing what Christ has to say, from focusing on who he is and what he's done. Look, he <laughs> let me tell you something. As you look at Christ, as you set your focus on Jesus, as you put place all of your attention and all of your affection on him, I'm telling you, it will produce faith. Faith to get free of the mess that you're in right now. Faith to trust him for the salvation that he's provided for you. Faith to, to meet the needs in your life. You focus on Jesus. He'll take care of producing the faith. Does this make sense? I hope so. Because I, I, I don't have faith in faith. I got no faith in faith. There is no faith in faith. Faith is ridiculous. It's just a... I got faith in Jesus. I don't even... Have, listen, I, and I'm, I'm going to say this and probably turn some of you off. I don't even have faith in prayer. I, I, I've got faith in the power of prayer. No, i got faith in Jesus. That when I pray, he hears me. <laughs> you know, I, I, all my faith is in Christ. All my faith is in Christ. It's not in a doctrinal system. It, it's not in, in, in what others have to say about me. All my faith is in Jesus. And as I look to Jesus, more and more faith is produced. And I can walk with confidence. And I can walk with clarity. And I don't have to wonder about the other things that try to distract me and discourage me. Because I believe what Jesus has to say. The more I focus on Jesus, the less anything else really matters at all. Okay, I'm sorry. Move on. My question, I guess, for us as we come to this end of our discussion about faith is where are you placing your faith? Where's your faith today? Is it in the 12 steps? You're going to be disappointed. Is it in the Jesus behind those 12 steps? Oh, you're, you're good. Is your faith in your doctrinal beliefs? You got all those scriptures lined up. Well, you're going to be disappointed. Is your faith in the Jesus that those doctrinal beliefs point to? You're good. Is your faith on a sinner's prayer that you said as a six year old at a kid's camp? You're going to be disappointed. Your faith needs to be in Jesus and Jesus alone, not in an experience, not in a missing piece of the puzzle. Your faith has to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. Where are you placing your faith today? Your only hope and my only hope is to place our faith in Jesus Christ. You and I are sinners in need of a Savior. He suffered. He bled. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose again to make us right with God. And the only hope we have to be made right with God, to be reconciled to God, is to place our trust in Christ. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look to Jesus and let faith rise in your heart to believe him for more. All right, let's move on. That's the first hallmark of genuine Christianity is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. The second is love for all God's people. Love for all God's people. Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove you are my disciples. We don't prove to the world that we're genuine Christians by our doctrinal positions. We don't prove that we, are to the world, that, that, that we are genuine Christians to the world by the way we vote and our political persuasions. God help us. We don't prove to the world that we are Christians by our church memberships, our spiritual discipline, or our righteous lifestyles. We prove to the world that we are who we claim to be Christians by our love for one another. We can never escape that. That should be the most distinguishing hallmark of all for us is that we love one another. And it's not a love that's passive. It's a love that's very active. Christian love is about commitment. It's not about emotion. Christian love is costly and it's sacrificial. It's not convenient. 1 John 3.16-18 says this about love. This is how we know what love is. Say it with me. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now that's active, and that's committed, and that's sacrificial. Right? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children... Let us not love with words or speech, but but with actions and in truth. Listen, genuine Christians love one another. They don't talk it, they walk it. They express it, they, they demonstrate it in their everyday life. Genuine Christians love one another. How? We love one another by sharing a sense of family that we are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. We love each other by focusing on the potential in our brothers and sisters, and not on their faults. Can I get an amen? Amen. I think one, one of the beautiful things about love is it looks at a person not seeing the defects in their character, but seeing the best in their character, and makes a decision to try to draw that out. We love one another by desiring the best for our brothers and sisters, and not just for ourselves. And we do all we can to build one another up rather than tear them down. We love one another by investing ourselves in each other. We willingly and we generously give one another our time, our talent, our treasure without expecting anything in return. Ouch. Or demanding anything in return. Don't you hate it? When somebody says, I want to show you how much I love you, I'm going to give you this, but there's a string attached to it. Is that an expression of love? Or is that a loan? Okay. It's manipulation. Love says, you know what, I'm going to do this for you, and it's a gift. And I'm going to walk away, I'm never going to bring it up again. If you want to repay me, that's up to you. If you want to repay somebody, that's, that's cool. But, man, this is a gift from my heart to yours. We we invest ourselves in each other. We delight ourselves in one another. And I love this fellowship for that very reason. We seem to have a great time when we get together. And I enjoy those times that we spend together. We enjoy the time that we spend together. We create opportunities to celebrate life together. Having said that, we're going to see my Andrews play next Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock in Valley. You're all welcome to go with us if you want to go. We can go get some lunch first and then at 2 o'clock go to the theater. It's all mindless entertainment. I'm all about mindless entertainment on a Sunday afternoon. It's either that or sleep. So anyway, so we love one another by helping shoulder one another's burdens. A number of you are going through some really tough times right now. Let's be honest. Some of you guys, uh, you know, you're struggling emotionally because your home life isn't what it ought to be or what you hoped it would be. Some of you right now are in financial uh, difficulties uh, because of job situations. Uh, and, and we're here. To help help you shoulder that burden, and we have, this past week, man, we've helped people with rent, we've helped people with groceries. We, you know, we've done, and it's it's because we're we're sharing life together and sharing each other's burdens. We look for ways to help make one another. That's this is what love does. Look, love looks for ways to make another per, the other person's life a little bit easier, just a little bit easier. And maybe that comes through a, a prayer uh, together, or maybe it comes through encouraging words, or a listening ear, just good advice, or. A home cooked meal. Can I say it? Rides to appointments or Pentecostal handshakes. You guys know what a Pentecostal handshake is, right? Cliff, you don't know what a Pentecostal handshake is? Let me show you, Cliff. Let's practice. Yeah. Cliff, this is a Pentecostal handshake. Man, I love you, brother. Woo! There you go. That's a Pentecostal handshake. I like those. You know, just learning to help one another, make it a little bit easier. There's some of you right now, your pantries are a little bit bare. And if somebody were to walk up to you today and, and, and give you a Pentecostal handshake with 20 bucks in it, just so you could go out and have a meal on a Sunday afternoon, that would lift your spirit so much, wouldn't it? It'd make you feel special. You'd be surprised what the smallest act of kindness can do to somebody's heart and life. And that's what Christian love does. It finds ways to help each other, make their lives just a little bit easier. So, and obviously we don't do any of this stuff perfectly. I mean, we don't, because we're human. And we're still prone to those silly arguments, and we're still prone to those petty offenses, and we're still prone to jealousy and gossip and the like. But here's here's what I want you to understand. Genuine Christians keep moving toward a life of Christ-like love. That's where we're headed and I may have done it imperfectly today, but tomorrow I'm going to learn from my mistakes. And I'm going to try a little bit harder to show you that I love you. I'm going to, I'm going to show you. I, 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 we're, we're, not, we're not there yet. We're not, we haven't perfected this expressing Christian love. But I tell you what, I'm learning. I'm learning to love like Jesus. I'm learning to forgive. I'm learning to be forgiven. I am learning to, to submit to you in love because this is who we are. This is who we are. We're Christians, and we're called to be like Christ. And what does Christ do best? Man, he loves. He loves. So my question for you today is this. Are you growing in your love for all God's people? Or do you tend to isolate yourself from the rest of us? don't want anything to do with us. It's just a Sunday morning event you come to at 10 o'clock in the morning. You sing a couple songs, walk out the door, you're done. If that's all your Christianity is, you're missing out on a big part of it. Just saying it. Genuine Christian is characterized first by faith in Jesus Christ, second by a love for others. That is third anchored in the hope of eternal life. A true believer is anchored in hope. Verse five says the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. First Peter talks about this uh, about the significance of hope in our life. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And we use that word hope a lot. Most of the time, we use the word hope as a synonym for wish or want. I hope to lose some weight, means I wish to lose some weight. I hope. To buy new clothes it means that I want to buy new clothes. Most of the time, we seem to see hope as some kind of wishful thinking or a pie in the sky optimism, right? It's a hope to, I wish to, I want to. That's not what hope is for a Christian. Hope for a Christian is this a confident expectation. A confident expectation. A confident expectation. We don't just wish to go to heaven. We confidently expect to go to heaven. We don't just want to see Jesus face to face. We confidently expect to see Jesus face to face. We don't just wish our struggle with sin was over. We confidently expect that one day our struggle with sin will be over. We don't just want our suffering to make sense but one day we confidently expect that our suffering will make sense we'll understand it better by and by this this isn't a pie in the sky optimism this is a confidence I believe this is so because my faith is rooted in Christ Jesus who would never lie to me never mislead me he's the way the truth and the life he's never going to tell me something that's not true So I confidently expect that everything he has promised will one day, in fact, be fulfilled. I'll stake my whole life on that. I'm just not wishing to go to heaven. I know my home is in heaven. Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Our hope as Christians is more than just wishful thinking. But I tell you, most of the people I know, for them, their Christianity is just, just wishful thinking. That's what it is. Our hope as Christians ought to be a confident expectation that what God has said is going to occur and that what he has promised will be fulfilled. It's a hope that's based in fact and reality. I need to hurry to the end. It's a hope that's based in fact and reality. This is not pie-in-the-sky optimism. Listen to me. This is the gospel. 2,000 years ago, a real person, a real person, named Jesus Christ, Son of God, born of a virgin, Son of man, willingly died on the cross for our sins and rose victoriously on the third day for our justification. And God has promised this. God has promised that whosoever believes in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins, be made right with God, and enjoy an eternity in heaven with Him. So, our hope for heaven Our hope for eternal life is based on God's testimony and revelation through actual historical events. Our hope is based on facts and reality. It's not just a wish it were so, want it to be so. It is a, in fact, it is so, reality. I got a few amens, and we need to explore that a little bit further, but we'll do it another day. It's a hope based in fact and reality, okay? It's a hope based in fact and reality. It's not a fantasy that we created. Second thing is it's a hope that's enhanced by our hardships. It's a hope that's actually enhanced by our hardships. The Bible tells us the truth about this life. I love the Bible for that. It doesn't hide anything from us. It doesn't pretend. It tells us the truth. The Bible warns us this life's going to be hard that we will not be immune from the sufferings and the persecution that that come our way. But it also tells us, the Bible's also clear that there is a future that lies just ahead of us where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more struggle. So when we find ourselves in a hard place in this life, listen to me. Woo! Yes, you did. When we find ourselves no more sneezing, Will we sneeze in heaven? That's a a deep question. We'll talk about that in Bible class next week. When we find ourselves in a hard place in this life, listen, I'm sorry, let me get your attention back. This is a really important point because some of you right now are in a bad place. It's tough. It's difficult. I took some of your phone calls this week. I I know you're there. This is what you need to hear today. That the hope you have in Christ, <laughs> let the difficulty you're in right now only enhance your hope that there's a heaven. You know what? I really think that's why God permits us to go through difficult times because it helps us see and helps us believe to an even deeper degree that there is a heaven that lies just ahead, and all this stuff right now is temporary. But there is an eternity spent where there will be no more struggling like we're going through now. No more hardship. No more adversity. And I think our hope is enhanced as we go through these valleys and as we go through these struggles and as we try to climb these mountains. I think it only serves to remind us that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That there is a glorious future that awaits me there. And so I'm just going to keep going no matter what comes my way. Let the distractions and the discouragement come, but man, I'm not going to camp here. I'm going to keep moving toward there, right? The hardship in this life when we go through it reminds us that this life after all is only temporary but the joys of heaven are forever. Let me quote one more scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 4:17 says for our present troubles are small and won't last very long for that yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Hardships here on earth. This is this is this is where I've come to in my own life. So I'm telling you from my own personal experience. Hardships here on earth only enhance my hope in heaven. I mean, when life's pressing down on me more than ever, I'm saying to myself, "Ah, it's only temporary, man. Heaven's on its way." So I can endure this for a moment, because it's a glorious future that lasts for eternity out there. It's still, a, all right, it's a hope that alters our lifestyle. It, it alters our lifestyle. As Christians, we as Christians. We should live for the moment when we see Jesus face to face. As Christians, we live for the moment we hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Living for that moment, listen to me, living for that moment keeps us from falling into temptation and sin in this moment. You hear what I'm saying? If I'll stay focused on that moment, there's nothing in this moment that's going to turn me left or right. Living for that moment keeps us from selfishness and people-pleasing in this moment. Living in that moment, for that moment, keeps us from quitting and walking away in this moment. Because we got our eyes on the prize. I want to share a story real quick. It's not here, but I just want to talk about it. I've shared it before. Believe it or not, this little fat white boy used to be a pretty good athlete when he was a kid and uh, I was in an event, a track and field event called the pentathlon. I think it was in ninth grade. And I had already won. There were five events in it, of course, pentathlon. Oh, I can't remember them all, but one of them I remember. Uh, Let's see, we had the shot put, the high jump, the long jump, the 100 meter dash, and the final event was the 400 meter run. And I had won, the four previous events, pulling away, I was on my way to set the record, which I heard still stands in some of those events. That's bragging a little bit. I'm trying to remember my future days of glory. Glory days, Bruce Springsteen song. Anyway, Um, The last event was the 400 meters. I hated the 400 meters, hated it with a passion. I was a sprinter, I didn't like longer runs. And uh, it was at the end of a very long day of competing. All I had to do to win the pentathlon, all I had to do was finish the race. I just had to cross the finish line. If I could get across the finish line, no matter what my time was, I had scored so high in the other events, I would win. But I'll never forget, I had to run around the track. It was a 200 meter track. I came around the second time around the last turn. And as I entered the last turn, suddenly, Something in my nose just, <clears throat> and I started bleeding from my nose. And it was just, I don't know, if you guys ever, I mean, it was just coming out like crazy. I mean, my heart's pumping real fast anyway from the running, and I'm dehydrated from a long day of com- competing and stuff. And this blood is just blowing into my eyes, and I'm breathing it in. I took a few steps, and, and it, it was tr- I just had to finish the race. If I could just finish the race, I was going to win, right? And I'm running, but I could, you know how, have you ever had your nose bleed, and suddenly your legs start getting... And everything starts going, you know, blurry. Well, I'm, all i got to do is finish the race. I've got, you know, about 75 meters to go. That's all i got. I come around to the final straightway, and I can, I can feel it. I, I just know I am going to collapse. I can just feel it. And I remember, this is where some of you are today. I can remember saying to myself, just finish the race. Just finish the race. I could have disqualified disqualified myself two ways. By either just quitting, I would have disqualified myself, or by getting into somebody else's lane. And I remember thinking to myself, that last 75 meters, just finish the race. Stay in your lane, finish the race. Every step. Stay in your lane, finish the race. Stay in your lane, finish the race. I could barely see where I was going. Blood in my eyes, all in my face. Some of you are feeling that that way today. My mind, all of my attention was focused on that finish line. And that's what kept me going, and that's what helped me win the pentathlon, and that's what helped me set the record that still stands today. Give me a pat on the back. (laughs) Listen. Listen, I'm I'm serious. I am telling those of you today who are on the verge of giving up, don't live in this moment. You live for that moment. Don't live in this moment. You live for that moment. This moment's temporary. Stay in the lane and finish your race. Stay in the lane and finish the race. Don't be disqualified by getting distracted and veering off and quitting. You're not going to win the race unless you finish it. Stay in your lane and finish the race. It seems to hurt right now, but there's a glorious destiny that awaits you. Stay focused on the prize. Stay focused on that finish line. Stay focused on that moment, not this one. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You will make it. God has promised. God has promised his grace is sufficient for you. You're going to make it. And that's, not, that's, that's a promise that doesn't come from me. It's a promise that comes from him. We have been placed here as your brothers, as your family, to support you, to help you stay running. But if you choose to quit, we can't do anything to stop you. Stay in your lane. Finish the race. Live for that moment. Not this one. Anyway, that's the hope. That alters your lifestyle. That alters your lifestyle. So I've got to ask the question today, where's your hope? Is your hope in this world and what this world can do for you? Boy, you're going to be disappointed. Or is your hope in that world and, that, and the world to come, and, and the Lord who, who stands there at the finish line calling you home? Is your focus on what you can get out of this life? You're going to be disappointed. Or is your focus on what you're going to receive once you get to the next one, to the next life? That's, that, I'm telling you, it's, it's all about focus, man. All right, so let's wrap it up so we can spend some time around the Lord's table. A genuine Christian is characterized by faith in Christ and a love for others. that's anchored in the hope of eternal life. So I've got to ask you the question today before we go any further. Are you a genuine Christian? Where's your, where's your faith? Where have you placed your faith? Where have you placed your faith? I hope you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can meet those deepest needs in your life. Are you growing in your love for God's people? Are you learning to forgive? Are you learning to overlook offenses? Are you learning to look to the needs of others rather than just your own? Or are you still trapped in your selfishness and pride? Is your hope anchored in eternal life? Or does your hope ebb and flow with the circumstances in your life? Are you a genuine Christian? I'm going to ask Bill and Steve and Brian to come help me serve these elements today. Micah, you want to come on back, buddy, with your team? We're going to spend some time here around the Lord's table. I feel like I've really rambled today, and I apologize for that. I hope that... uh, We see this triad of virtues... Um, hope, or faith, love, and hope, these triad of virtues expressed for us all through the New Testament. Paul uses it several times in his letters. 1 Corinthians 13 comes to mind, 1 Thessalonians 5 comes to mind, and others, Coloss- uh, in Colossians and other passages, faith, hope, and love. These are the three primary virtues that each of us should. Uh, that should be manifest in the hearts of those who claim to be Christian. We are constantly reminded of the, these three virtues in nearly um, every tradition that has developed in the church, including the Lord's Supper and water baptism. We see faith, hope, and love expressed again and again. As, it, it's as if God wants us to be constantly reminded, this is who I have called you to be. These are the fruits that I intend to produce in your life. This is the way you are supposed to live. Faith, love, hope. Faith and love produced in you by this hope of eternal life. We see it in water baptism when uh, we... we uh, when we... Dip someone down in the water, bring them back up. It reminds us of what Christ did for us. By dying and being raised back to new life, we are raised to new life in him. And baptism is another way of identifying with the people of God, that we, are, that we are now part of the family of God. And Baptism is also a way of expressing the new life that we have, this eternal life in Christ Jesus. We're going to, in just a minute, again, you're going to see uh, faith, love, and hope expressed as we share these elements together. Faith in that these elements represent the broken body of Christ, his shed blood. We're to remember what he did for us on the cross so that it helps build our faith, produce more faith in us for him. Uh, we're also, you see, uh, life because it's these elements, his, his uh, blood, his, his body, uh, this bread that we eat, that it nourishes our inner man, it, 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 it gives us life. We'll see it in hope. We're to do this until he returns. So there's this there's this element of of faith and love and hope in nearly everything we do. It's found so often through the Bible. If we're gonna be Christian, if we're gonna call ourselves Christians, these are the three virtues that must be produced in our life. And we can only those those virtues can only be produced. As we look to him, we can't gin these things up. We can't produce them in our own power and strength. We can't uh, can't work harder to give ourselves more. All we can do is simply look at Jesus. Simply look at Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. And that's what the book of Colossians wants us to do. It wants us to focus on this incomparable Christ who is sufficient for all our needs, who is sovereign over everything and everyone, this Christ who is incomparable. No one can compare to this Jesus. So we should accept no substitutes. Christ and Christ alone. So as we pass these elements out to you, I want you to focus on Jesus. Focus on what you know to be true. I want you to spend time thanking him for what he has already done in your life. I want you to reflect on how good he is, how gracious and kind and merciful he is. I want your hearts and minds to be filled with thoughts of Jesus. Don't think about the situation you find yourself in today. Don't think about the problems at home. You focus on Jesus and all that He has already done for you and all that He has promised. And let faith rise up in your heart. Let Him impart His life, His, his, his love to you. Until it overflows. And let, his, let, hope, let hope be birthed in your heart. Hope that will give you strength to run this race and run it well.